So we've just invoked the Holy Spirit, and we ask him to be truly present here with us as we move into the next part of spiritual exercises. So the good news is that so far no one has died. You're doing great. (laughs) And I'm sure most of you are doing more than great. So what we're going to do right now, this is the first of three talks that we're going to have. So far, we've had homilies, and we've had two meditations, right? Last, last night, Father Luke gave us a meditation on the principle or foundation of exercises. And this morning, Father Rene gave us a meditation on sin, right? Now we're going to move, move into one of the talks. And the reason behind the talks is because we need formation. We need to know what's going on in the spiritual world of things, right? We go to school for a long, long time when we're little, but no one really talks to us about spiritual stuff. And our life depends on it, right? We're trying to get to heaven. And unless we have some kind of information in our head about where we're going and how to get there, it's really hard to get there, okay? And I'm sure a lot of you have had that kind of experience on on a retreat, that you go on a retreat, you have a great time, it's wonderful, you're kind of on like a retreat high, and then you come back and you're just like, that was great, what do I have to do to keep this going? Something started when I was on that retreat, and I would love to keep it going, not just the emotion, but something that's actually taken place, but I have no idea how to keep the ball rolling. And that's where formation really comes into play, because we have to have something in our heads about how to get there and where we're going. Um, So this first talk that we're gonna have is going to be on grace, right? But before we delve into that, I'm going to talk to you very briefly about something that Father Luke mentioned that maybe some of you have never heard of it about, um, and it could be helpful just to, to touch bases there. Okay, so Father Luke mentioned discernment of spirits. Right? Some of you were probably on the talk that we gave at a Youth 2000 retreat. We've given one in Sligo, and we've given one in Killarney. And that entire talk was based on what, uh, what is the discernment of spirits? What is that talking about? Um, and it's something that St. Ignatius came up with, and it's basically to help us figure out what's going on in our soul with all of this up and down movement that all of us experience in our spiritual life. And Father Luke mentioned that if you're not going through those ups and downs, something could be wrong. And so some of you might have started to get nervous And you might be wondering, oh no, am I doing this wrong? Am I going to have gone through this entire retreat and it didn't count for anything because I'm not doing it right? So we're just going to very briefly um, touch on a little bit of that. Um, Just so you have peace of mind and you know what to do (laughs) if, if you're going through that. So he mentioned consolation and he mentioned desolation, kind of as these two categories of experiences. Consolation is basically... What he said, you know, when, when it's easy to pray, when you're experiencing the love of God, um, when you look at the Lord in the Eucharist and your heart just melts and everything is so easy and you can be on your knees for three and a half hours and you don't even think about it, um, 
It's just kind of like that experience that you have of God's love for you. And it doesn't matter what's going on or what it takes, you just want to follow him. Right? That's consolation. Those are good things. Right? That's something that the Lord gives us, as Father Luke was saying, to inebriate us, to make us pant after his love so that we have the strength to follow him. But there's also something called desolation, which is the entire opposite. Right? So desolation can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's just spiritual dryness. You don't feel anything. Right? You're on your knees in front of the Lord in the Eucharist, but you might as well be kneeling in front of a stick because you just don't feel anything. Right? Um, other times it could be, a, I don't know if any of you have had this experience so far, but maybe one of the priests maybe starts to speak and all of a sudden you just want to leave the chapel. Um, you remember a hundred thousand things that are you could be doing instead of being on this retreat. Um, maybe I left the lights on in my car. I don't know if maybe, maybe I didn't make my bed. Perhaps now would be a good time to just kind of like leave the chapel and go do that. Um, did I leave the faucet running in my, in my room? You know, just an act of charity to make sure that I'm not like wasting water somewhere. Um, all of those kind of distractions that come like while you're supposed to be praying, that's all desolation, right? If you ever get feelings of just like anger, you know, um, maybe all of a sudden while you're remembering your sins, you want to go back to them. Um, just leave this retreat and get this all over with and forget about everything. All of that is desolation, right? Desolation has a lot of different forms. I'm just very kind of glazing over the surface. Um, there's a lot of reasons why you could be in desolation. Father Luke, I think he touched on the, the biggest one, which is the fact that God gives us consolation to help us to start to follow him. But our constant temptation is to follow him because of what he's giving us instead of following him for who he is. And so he kind of gives us these sweet moments at the beginning so that we start walking. But the moment comes when he's going to take those sweet moments away. And he asks us to walk after him for love of him and not because of what we get out of it. So desolation is oftentimes a test from the Lord to see if we really love him because of who he is or just because of what he gives us. Right? Desolation can also come because I've stopped doing what I'm supposed to do. I've slacked off in my prayer. I'm not going to confession. I'm not praying my rosary. I'm not placing God in the center of my life and I could fall into kind of a desolation. Right? And other times, it could be that the Lord is allowing the enemy to test us. Right? But we can talk more about that later, because we're going to be talking about the spiritual battles that we're in at some point later today. Right? Um, so what to do in times of desolation, and what to do in times of consolation. Consolation is a little bit easier, um, because we usually enjoy consolation. Uh, the best thing that we can do in consolation is allow the Lord to guide our souls 
and also just to gather strength and courage for the hard times to come, right? A lot of times when you're on that spiritual high, it wouldn't even cross through your mind the possibility that that might end, all right? But it's a good idea to remember when you're on that spiritual high, eventually this is going to end. And I have to take advantage of it now to remember what God is like and to draw courage to be able to keep going once this is over and once the hard times come, right? Because I know they're gonna come, right? We're not gonna get to heaven unless we go through the cross. We're just not going to. And so the hard times and the desolation has to come. It's a part of purification. But I can't lose strength and lose momentum every time that desolation comes because that's why I'm not advancing in my spiritual life. Because as soon as things get difficult, I'm just thrown in the towel and that's the end of it. Right? So what to do in, t in times of desolation? There's three main things. Right? The first thing you should do in desolation is not change anything. If I'm in desolation, I should not make changes. What does that mean? Usually when you're in consolation, right? I think Father Luke also mentioned this. In times of consolation, maybe you thought, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I'll do it. Ask me something. You know, I, I want to do something for you. And maybe you feel like the Lord is saying, you need to pray more. And when you're in consolation, you realize, okay, well, I should have a set time of prayer in my life. So I'm going to promise the Lord that I'm going to spend 15, 30 minutes daily in prayer with the Lord. And I make that decision in a time of consolation. Desolation comes, and all of a sudden, there's a thousand things to do, and I don't want to pray. All right? This first rule, don't make changes, means don't forget about the resolutions you've already made. So if I promised the Lord I was going to make, do a 15-minute holy hour or spend half an hour in prayer, as soon as things get difficult, I can't change that. Right? If I promised the Lord that I was going to look into spiritual direction and meet with someone to talk about them regularly, as soon as things get difficult, I can't stop doing that. Whatever it might be. Right? So that's the first one. Don't make changes. The second thing to do in, tight, in time of desolation is to make an effort to work against that desolation. What does that mean? All right, working against that desolation. It kind of depends on what kind of desolation you're experiencing, right? Since we're all in exercises right now, that's probably the easiest example. Um, if you're praying, right, it's time for personal prayer. We just had a meditation. You're going through the meditation. And all of a sudden, it's just dryness. You don't want to be there anymore. Um, Father Luke mentioned this as well. You know, you did the entire meditation in five minutes. Everything is fine. That's it. Let's get over. I'm ready to move on, right? What you should do at this point is do the exact opposite of what you feel like doing, right? So if you feel like, um, well, that's it. I can stop praying now. Instead of sitting down, get on your knees and insist on praying and pray more, and pray harder, right? When you do this, the devil gets scared, right? And it's, it's, it's serious business, right? If you do this in prayer, the Lord will reward your effort and he will reward your generosity with him, right? If desolation comes and that 
kind of manifests itself in that I don't want to talk to anyone about what's going on in my life. I don't want to talk to anyone about the temptations I'm experiencing. Well, that is a sure sign that you need to go and tell a priest or tell your spiritual director as soon as you possibly can. Because that's how the enemy works. So the second is, go against the desolation. Right? And it could be, you know, if you go through the entire hour of personal prayer that we have after a meditation and you're going through these times of desolation, maybe when it's time for free time, right, you could spend an extra five minutes doing personal prayer instead of immediately running off, I'm going to go have a cup of tea or I'm going to go walk and see the ocean and watch the waves or something like that, right? This is another way of going against what you're experiencing because what you're experiencing is I want to stop praying. As soon as, soon as I can, I'm out of here, right? Spend five more minutes. It's not a lot. But those five minutes saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm here because of you. And I know you're worth it. And I know you're going to reward my effort. And I want you to know that I love you. Right? Those are like the moments of, of mom changing the dirty nappies. Right? The five minutes of extra prayer. This is for love of you, Lord. Not because of what I'm getting out of it. And then um, the third thing to do in those t- moments of desolation is to talk about it. Right? Talk to your spiritual director about it. Explain to them what you're going through. And this is what Father Luke mentioned um, as well. So while you're on spiritual exercises, right? if any of you need to talk to someone, um, in the very back of the chapel on the bench where the Bibles are, there's a basket there with little pieces of paper. Okay, So if you want to talk to someone about what you're experiencing, or what you're going through, you can write your name on a piece of paper and put it in the basket. Um, the brothers will be back tomorrow morning to say Mass for us. If anyone hasn't gotten a chance to go to confession or would like to go to confession again or would like to talk to one of the brothers, please go ahead and write that on a piece of paper. I'd like to speak to one of the priests tomorrow right? Um, and put your name on it. If it's for confession, there's no need to put your name on it. You just need to know um, that you want to go to confession so that the brothers come earlier. Right? If you want to talk to someone today, or if you prefer to talk to one of the sisters, that's fine as well. You can just write on a piece of paper, um, could I please speak with one of the sisters for a few minutes? Right? And write your name on it, and we'll come find you during one of the times of personal prayer or free time, just so that you can talk about whatever you have to talk about. Okay? So everyone understand? Wonderful. Okay, so that's our little um, detour on consolation and desolation. I hope that you're at peace. Okay, because basically, I mean, the devil is really, really good at making us lose our peace. Okay, so if any of you are like running up the walls right now, just wondering like what is going on, it might be a good idea to talk to someone about it. Because if your soul is so agitated that you can't even sit here in the Lord's presence, it's going to be difficult for you to get anything out of this, right? So just write your name on a piece of paper and talk about it. Okay, so moving back to the topic for today. Um, For right now, the name of this talk is Grace. Um, Grace is something that we hear a lot about. And basically this talk is just going to be about what is grace and why is it so important, right? Why does everyone always talk to me about grace? 
and just to start i think it's helpful i'm just going to put an example here those of you who have ever spent any time around small children know that small children have no capacity to like value like appreciate the value of what they have in their hands right so you could give them a piece of paper and it's a shiny great piece of paper right and it's going to mean more to them than something that could be much more valuable right or you can put a mobile in their hands and they are thoroughly content just to take that mobile and smash it against the floor right because they don't know what it is and they don't appreciate it right if you have a small child on the floor and you on one side of him you put one of those great new toys that makes noise and moves and spins and shines right and on the other side you have like a stack of 100 euro bills right as an adult you're looking at the baby going choose the money just choose the money like it, it, it's your choice it's a free gift choose the money it's so much it's just worth it all right and the baby doesn't understand the word that you're saying and he's going to take a look at the two things and he's going to choose the toy every time because he doesn't understand what's in front of him and he doesn't value it right he doesn't value what it's worth okay and this that we see in children and it's very easy to just like oh you know it's a baby you know what do you what, what do you expect right but a lot of times the same thing happens with us when it when it comes to grace we have grace on one side and on the other side we have all of the temptations and all of the pleasure and all of our favorite sins on the other side right and we're just sitting in the middle and time after time after time we choose our sins and we choose our selfishness and we choose the pleasures and the creatures of this world over the grace of god and a lot of times it's because we don't value grace we don't understand what it is and it's interesting because in the situation of that baby you know you could be rooting the baby on like from the corner like yes little baby choose the money little baby <laughs> all right but because you know you know from the outside perspective how much the money is worth right and i think so often our guardian angels and all the saints of heaven are just looking at us in this battle between sin and grace and saying to us choose grace choose life choose god and time and time again we don't do it right so i hope and we pray and we ask the lord who's here with us right now to help us to understand the great gift that god gives us in grace right so we've all heard i'm sure i hope you know at least the expression being in the state of grace right I'm sure you have. Right? I I hope that you know that in order to receive communion, you have to be in a state of grace. That's something that you've probably heard before. But if I were to you know, just ask each and every one of you, could you please define what it means to be in the state of grace? It might be difficult. Right? It'd be interesting. I I would have liked to have done that before the retreat started just to, you know, compare answers at the end of this. Um but most of us 
at least at the beginning, we know that like mortal sin and being in the state of grace isn't compatible. Like if I commit a mortal sin, I'm no longer in the state of grace and therefore I can't receive communion. But I wouldn't be able to tell you like what grace is or what being in the state of grace means. Um, so we're going to take a look at what the catechism kind of tells us a little bit about this. And the catechism tells us that God created Adam and Eve in the state of grace. In number 375, the catechism says, Adam and Eve were constituted in an original state of holiness and justice. This grace of original holiness was to share in divine life. And it goes on to say, by the radiance of this grace, all dimensions of man's life were confirmed. As long as he remained in the divine intimacy, man would not have to suffer or die. Right? Sometimes when there's something spiritual going on, it's easier for us to understand how important it is looking at um, what it's not or looking at its effects. Right? I've never seen grace. Grace is something spiritual. It's invisible. You're never going to be able to like open someone's heart and like see what grace looks like. Okay? But we know from what the Catechism is telling us here, that being in a state of grace, for Adam and Eve at the beginning, that grace meant they would never, ever have to suffer or die. So right off the bat, I know this is something really, really important and very powerful. And the other thing that we're told right here in that first number is that grace means to share in the divine life. Grace means participating in the very life of God. And it says, as long as Adam and Eve remained in this divine intimacy, they would not have to suffer or die. So grace is intimacy with God. Grace is divine intimacy. And I think it's interesting. Um, this kind of connects well with what Father Luke was talking about last night when he talked to you about the different types of love, right? And he mentioned to you that we are born craving love. We are born looking for love. It's written into our hearts. Every part of us longs to love and to be loved. And as he was even sharing about... Um, about his cousin who watched the Titanic and was looking for that kind of love, right? Everyone, everyone on this earth is craving that kind of love. And it's because we were made for it, right? There's nothing wrong with us because we're looking for love. It's actually a sign that things are going well, right? If you're looking for love, that means you're well made, okay? If you want to be hated and you want to live in a relationship of just hatred and animosity and everything, but then you should be worried, okay? If you're looking for love and to be loved, it's a good sign. But the question is, where do I find that? And why is it such a deep longing in my life? And it's because we are made for relationships. I don't know if this is easier for women to understand. I don't know, we had just had that relationship thing going on. There's this natural like craving for intimacy, right? But the beautiful thing about grace 
is that God is telling us that we're not only made for relationships with other people, with other humans, but the fact that he created Adam and Eve in the state of grace from the very beginning means that it is written into our hearts the desire and the need for a relationship with God. And that's what grace is all about. Through the gift of grace, which God gave to Adam and Eve, they were invited and they were made part of God's family. Grace makes us part of God's family. Which means that men and women, man and woman, Adam and Eve, were created as God's adoptive sons and daughters. God created us, adopting us into his family. And there's an Irish monk named Marmion, Columba Marmion, um, who has a couple of quotes here about, he just talks about what type of adoption that is. Because when we talk about adoption, we can only really compare it to human adoption, right? So he says that human adoption is the admission of a stranger into your family. Right? If you know anyone who's adopted, it means there's someone who's not a part of the family and who at one point was a stranger who actually enters in to form part of their family. And they become a true member of the family. They take on the family name. They receive the titles of the family. Right? They can receive the inheritance. They participate in the possessions. But he points out that in order to adopt, it's necessary, or at least has been up until this point in history, um, it's necessary to be a part of the same race as what you're adopting, right? I can't adopt a dog, right? I can kind of welcome him into my house and take care of him, but I can't make him a part of my family, right? I can't adopt a cat, right? Humans can only adopt human beings. We can only invite other human beings to form part of our family. And so Abbot Marmion is going to ask the question, how is it then that God adopts us and makes us a part of his family? Because we're not the same race. God is God and we are not. <laughs> right? I hope that the meditation on sin has at least left that much clear. Right? I am not God. <laughs> I am pretty miserable. Right? But God loves me, and he loves me so much that he wants me to form part of his family. And this is where Abbot Marmion starts to talk about what grace is. He says, God gives us a mysterious share in his nature, which we call grace. Right? If grace is a participation in the life of God, right? grace makes us sharers in the divine nature in a way that we cannot fathom is what Marmion says. He says, we are raised above our nature by grace, and we become in some manner gods. Right? You can underline in some manner. Right? <laughs> we are not God, and we never will be. Right? You will never cease to be a human being, but at the same time, God elevates our nature, and he makes us part of his family by sharing his life and his nature with us. And he goes on to say that participation in the divine life is brought about by grace. 
And it, what does grace do to our soul? It makes us capable of knowing God as he knows himself, of loving God as he loves himself, and of enjoying God as he is filled with his own beatitude. Such is the ineffable mystery of our divine adoption. In adopting us, in giving us grace, God penetrates to the depths of our nature. He raises it by this grace to the point of making us truly children of God. That's what he says grace does to our soul. Right? And I think it's interesting that he says here that it makes us capable of knowing God, it makes us capable of loving God, and it makes us capable of enjoying God. Because if we remember what Father Luke talked about last night, <clears throat> when he talks about the principle or the foundation of exercises, what we're meditating on, the whole basis of all of exercises is that man is made to know, to love, and to serve God. Grace is what makes that possible. That's huge. That means I am made, each and every one of you are made and designed and hardwired to know and love and serve God, the same God who's present before us even now on the altar. And it's the grace in your soul that enables you to do that. Number 384 of the Catechism, I'm telling you the numbers just in case later you want to look it up. <laughs> Number 384 of the Catechism goes on to say that from their friendship, right, the friendship that Adam and Eve had, from their friendship with God flowed the happiness of their existence in paradise. What made paradise paradise? their friendship with God. Their happiness flows from their friendship with God. Their happiness flows from their relationship with God, their intimacy with God. They are happy because they are in relationship with God. I have yet to meet someone who wants to be miserable for their entire life. Usually when you meet someone who's going through a hard time, um, who's suffering the loss of a loved one, who's just experiencing the difficulties and the crosses of life, right? They're having a hard time because they don't, it's hard. And they don't want things to be like that forever. No one wants to be miserable. Everyone desires happiness. And what we're seeing right here in the Catechism is that the very root, the essence, the source of happiness is my relationship with God. What made paradise paradise and what is going to make heaven heaven is that relationship. It's not so much that there won't be suffering and there won't be sickness and there won't be death. It's that God is in the center, he is everything, and I am united to him. And from that relationship of love flows my eternal happiness. And the greatest thing about that is that there's nothing stopping you from starting that here on earth. If you're in a state of grace, you're already experiencing something of heaven. If you're not in a state of grace, 
you are in some way already in hell. Because that's the biggest difference between heaven and hell. Right? In heaven, I will be united to God in a loving relationship forever. Everything I've ever desired, everything I've ever sought for, will be within my grasp. And how the biggest suffering is that everything I've ever looked for and everything that can make me happy is now impossible for me to attain. I'm cut off from God forever. And that in and of itself is the biggest suffering that we can ever experience. I'm made for something, for someone, and I know that for all eternity, I will never be with him. That's hell. And heaven and hell start here on earth. Whether or not you're in a state of grace, whether or not you're in that relationship of intimacy with God. So the Catechism tells us that Adam and Eve were created in a state of grace, which is great. Um, wonderful. Kind of makes you wonder what happened. Um, and then it goes on to tell us that the entire harmony of original justice, the entire harmony of paradise, the entire harmony of, of that original holiness, which was foreseen for man in God's plan, God created us for that, was lost by the sin of our first parents. Grace was lost through sin in the beginning. And grace is still lost by sin in our own lives. We could take a look at like the whole temptation thing that Adam and Eve went through, um, but that would really be for another moment. But just to point out that the heart of that temptation was them doubting whether or not God was really a good father. Right? Up until that point, they had never experienced anything but the love and the friendship and the goodness of God. Nothing. Sin didn't exist. Suffering didn't exist. Death did not exist. They had this friendship and this intimacy with God. And all of a sudden, the devil came and started to tempt them. And to tempt them to doubt whether or not God was really that good. And wouldn't they just be better off without him? And unfortunately, they fell for it. Right? And they fell for it disobeying God's command. And as a result of this disobedience, right, we have to understand, if they were in a state of grace, they were part of God's family. They were sons and daughters of God. By disobeying the Father, they lost grace. They fell from the state of grace. And this is, it kind of ties back into what Father was talking about last night when we talk about the importance of knowing God. We're born to know, love, and serve God. And he talked a little bit about the importance of our image of God. What image do I have of God? Because this is where the devil started to tempt them. He started to ask them, 
whether or not the, that image of a good, loving father was really accurate. And when they started to doubt that, that's when they were able to disobey. That's why it's so important to know who God is. Because if I know that he is a loving father, if I know everything that he has done to reach me and to save me and to make me a part of his family, if I have that just engraved into my heart, not only is that going to make me love him, but that's going to keep me from sinning. Right? It ties into what Father was saying about crowding out sin with a stronger affection. You can't love someone that you don't know. Which is why we have to spend time with God getting to know him. So grace was originally lost because of sin. That's when suffering and that's when death entered the world. And all of this was restored through salvation in Christ. Right? Jesus came and lived life as a human being for love of each and every one of us. Why? Why did he come? To restore grace. To open, once again, the doors of heaven. But all of this because he loves us and he wants us to be able to enter into this relationship of intimacy with him. Sometimes it's really simple when you're explaining these things to children. You just say, you know, with sin, the gates of heaven were closed. And God wanted us to be able to go to heaven. So when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he opened the gates of heaven again. And it's great for small children. It's wonderful. You know, it's like step one for understanding what happened. Um, but you kind of have this idea of Jesus as like a gatekeeper. Right? The gates were closed, so he had to come and do something to open up the gates again. And now we can go to heaven, which is like this wonderful place. Right? Great, but it's so much more than that. Because the heart of this isn't about being somewhere that's going to be awesome. Right? The heart of all of this is that relationship of love. That relationship of intimacy was broken, and we were thoroughly incapable of ever restoring that relationship on our own. Which means everything that we are made for was now impossible. So Jesus came not just to open up the gates of heaven, right? but understanding really what heaven is all about. He restored that relationship. Right? You have an act of disobedience done by Adam and Eve, right? that Jesus, through his loving obedience to the Father, restores. Right? He undoes the disobedience that Adam and Eve did. He unties the knot. Right? If we were cut off from God before that, all of a sudden we are united to God in a way that we had never been before. All of that is possible because Jesus died on the cross from us, for us and rose again. That's a lot more than just opening a locked door. Because everything is about him looking at you and wanting you to be with him forever. And he gave everything to get that done. There's nothing else that he can give you. 
He gave everything. All we have to do is reach out our hand and accept the gift and enter into relationship with him. Abbot Marmion here um, kind of talks about the same thing. He says that as everything in Jesus Christ can be summed up in divine sonship, right? If man and woman, Adam and Eve, were the disobedient children, right? Jesus' life can be summed up in that he was the obedient son of God. The loving and obedient son of God. Just as everything in Jesus Christ can be summed up in his divine sonship, thus everything in the Christian can be summed up in his participation of this sonship by Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. The heart of a Christian life is living as a son and daughter of God in Christ. And he goes on to say, all the holiness that God has destined for our souls has been placed in the humanity of Christ. And it is from this source that we must draw. Everything that we need to get to heaven, all of the grace and all of the strength and all of the virtues, we're going to find in Christ, in his humanity, and what he lived here on earth, showing us step by step what it means to live as God's child. And the only way that we're going to have the strength that we need to follow in his footsteps is by looking at him and asking him to unite us more closely to him. And this really is because um, the Catechism goes on to say that grace is a free gift from God, right? God didn't have to do this, but he, he wanted to. Um, but the Catechism underlines that it's a supernatural gift. And this is important, right? Grace is a supernatural gift which means we are made for something that we, in our own power, can never achieve. There's absolutely nothing that you or me can do to become God's children. I'm made for it, I long for it, right? The success, we could say, of my life my happiness depends on being God's child, but there is nothing I can do on my own to be able to get there. I can't. It's a free gift that God gives me. So God made us for something that far exceeds our own capacity. And why, why would he do that? Because he loves us, right? He made us as creatures, but he didn't want to just leave us kind of over yonder, right? He wanted us in his family, with him, united to him, which means he had to elevate us to something far greater than anything that we ever could have done on our own. But I think it's interesting, the fact that we're made for something that far exceeds our capacity also means that our happiness is going to far exceed anything that we could even come close to imagining. Because we're made for something that is so much greater than us. 
So the desires that I have now for happiness, the happiness I can imagine on my own, has nothing to do with the happiness that God is going to give us by uniting us to him and being with him forever in heaven. Right? And this is so much so that literally God is going to have to give us a special grace when we're in heaven just to keep us from exploding. Right? Which means it's worth getting there. <laughs> right? You can attain some kind of happiness on this earth, it's true. You can even attain a certain level of human happiness forgetting about God. But that happiness has nothing to do, it's nothing in comparison to the happiness that God calls us to in a life of grace and in a life of union with him. Right? It's his love that's going to make fighting for grace worth it. And Abbot Marmion goes on to say that um, grace kind of becomes the principle of divine life in us. Right? Everything that we have to do as Christians needs to be um, kind of moved by this strength of grace that we have in our hearts. And only grace is going to be able to enable us to reach heaven and to reach God and to reach union with him. So that means when I'm not in a state of grace, even if I'm going through the motions, right? maybe I still go to Mass, or I still go to church, or I still try to pray, if I don't have that grace in my soul, nothing I'm doing is getting me anywhere. Because only grace, only that supernatural principle, is able to actually move my soul and move my actions and empower me to reach God. Only grace. And that's why it's so important, apart from wanting to get to heaven, to be in a state of grace. And he goes on to say that God has decreed from all eternity that we shall only be holy in his sight by living through grace as children of God. There is no other way to be holy than through grace, than through living as his, living as his children. So the Catechism goes on to say at this point um, that the grace of Christ is that gratuitous gift, that free gift that God makes to us of his own life. Grace is God's life in your soul, infused by the Holy Spirit. But then it goes on to say kind of what it does in your soul. It says, in order to heal your soul of sin and to sanctify it. It is the sanctifying or deifying grace received in baptism. It is in us the source of the work of sanctification. So the catechism there in number 1999, right, is telling us three things, three very important things that grace does in our soul. Right? The first one is that it makes us holy. Grace makes us holy. It makes us participate in God's nature. Right? The Bible tells us over and over and over again, only God is holy. Right? holy. Holiness is another one of those words that's kind of like difficult to kind of define. I'm sure 
Anytime you see someone who goes to Mass on a regular basis, you're like, oh, he's such a holy person. And then you're like, okay, what does holy mean? Uh, not sure, actually, you know. He does holy things. Okay, but you can't define a word using the same word. Like, what is holiness? Holiness is what God is. It's that entirely beyond me, something that I can't even get close to because I'm just so unworthy. Holiness is God himself. Right? And the Bible tells us over and over again, only God is holy. So the fact that grace makes us holy means that grace makes us like God. Why? Because it's a participation in his nature, a participation in his life. Grace makes us kind of be born as a child of God. It makes us holy. It's like step one, right? Just like baptism is like the first of the seven sacraments, right? If I, can't, if I don't receive baptism, I can't receive the other sacraments. Why? Because that's what opens the door. That's what starts it off. Grace in my soul makes me holy, right? Without grace, I'm just lost forever, right? The second thing that grace does, it heals us from sin, God's presence is a healing presence. If Jesus, while he was on this earth, healed people just by touching them, what do you think that he can do now that he is literally inside of you? If Jesus in his humanity, just by touching someone, cured them of the leprosy, or restored sight to the blind, what is keeping God from healing you of your sin? Now that he is inside of you through grace and in the Eucharist. That God is a healing God and he wants to heal us of our sins. It's a process. And I think especially perhaps today that we've taken time to meditate on sin and our own misery, a lot of us probably in those moments speak for personal experience at least, um, in those moments, you're desiring healing. You want to be healed of the sins that you've committed. Not just forgiven, but actually like healed and made whole again. Because whether we recognize it or not in the moment, when we sin, there's something in us that is broken. Especially if it's a mortal sin. Right? And that intimacy that we so long for with God, right? that capacity to love that he's given us, it's just broken over and over and over and over again until you actually feel incapable of loving because you've spent so much time loving something or someone that wasn't worth loving because you've been trying to give your heart to other things or to other people in a way that you can only give your heart to God because that's the way you're made. So grace comes into your soul to heal that as well, to heal that brokenness and to make us capable of loving again. And the third thing that grace does is that it is the source of the work of sanctification. That sounds like a very intense and complicated sentence. The source of the work of sanctification. All right, what is sanctification? And this is different than the first one, right? The first one, the first point we said, it was it makes us holy. Now we're saying that it's the principle, the source that works in us 
to make us grow in holiness. So through grace, through sanctifying grace, God makes us holy. But he also calls us to a deeper holiness. And he gives us the task of becoming holy. I don't know if it sounds like a contradiction, but it's the two things. God makes us holy, and then he calls us to a deeper holiness. Right? He makes us his children. We are born as sons and daughters of God. But then you actually have to grow in that relationship as son, or grow in that relationship as daughter. Right? Growing in your relationship as a daughter is basically what sanctification is, holiness. Becoming more and more like Christ. Becoming more and more like Jesus, obedient to the Father, even unto death on the cross. And it's a process of transformation. Holiness is going to completely and utterly transform your life. So that we belong entirely to God, and so that we can say with St. Paul, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live Yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me. Right? That's Galatians chapter 2.20, if you want to look at it later. That's kind of like the goal of Christian existence. Right? To be able to say, I live, and yet it's not me. It's Christ who's living in me. Jesus who's moving me. And so that means that everything in me that is not Christ has to be put to death. And that's why sanctification sometimes can be so difficult. Because it means putting to death in me everything that is not God. Everything that is not holy, everything that does not bring me to a deeper relationship with God, just has to go. And this is a long process, and it's often a painful process for the same thing that Father Luke said earlier. We love our sins. And we love our vices. And that's half of the battle in spiritual life, is getting to the point of really being able to crowd out our affection for sin through our love for God. Love is going to be the motor of your holiness. If you're not in love with God, you're just not going to make it. So does that mean we should all just like despair and cry together and then just leave? No. Oh. <laughs> That's why we're here. Right? The first step at least. Right? Because you could say, well, you know, as Father said, you know, last night, we have to be able to be really honest with ourselves and honest with God and talk with Him, you know. Just put yourself before the Lord and tell Him, Lord, you know what? I have realized so far through these exercises that I don't love you. I don't. But I want to. Right? And that want to is more than enough for him to be able to come into your life and to transform things. And at least, at least, we have to want to want to. I don't know if that makes sense. Right? But a lot of times you're there and you're like, I know I have to leave this sin. And in order to leave this sin, I have to want to leave this sin behind. And I'm kind of almost, no, I'm just not there. I don't want to leave it. I love my sins. I'm attached to my sins. I love these creatures more than God. 
but at least knowing what grace is and knowing who God is and knowing what he's calling me to, we pray and we beg the Lord to make us want what he wants and to make us want and desire to leave our sins and want and desire to grow in holiness with him. Right? And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit's great. He's kind of like the forgotten person of the Trinity a lot of times, right? It's just kind of pictured as like a dove or a flame or, you know, this kind of floating creature. Um, the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is an overwhelmingly powerful just love, right? And that is exactly what you need in your heart, is a love more powerful than your sins, right? The Holy Spirit has been given the task, right? His job is to make you holy, which means his job is to make you love God more than your sins. And that means that we have to invoke him constantly and just say, come Holy Spirit and change my heart. Come Holy Spirit and change my feelings, change my affections, change what I want until I truly want what you want. And this is one of those things that it's just us on our knees in front of God begging him, right? We've gone through um, kind of the meditation on sin this morning which means we're very aware of the fact that we can't do anything on our own. Jesus himself told us that while he was alive. Without me, you can do nothing. And he was, he was serious about that, right? Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. We can sin, but sin is like worse, worse than nothingness, right? Without me, you can do nothing. Which means what I ask of you is that you come before me and you ask for my help. So we come before the Lord and we beg him to change our hearts. To make us want to love him more than our sins. To start to touch our hearts in such a way that we actually desire grace and we desire heaven. But that's why it's important that we have to stop and think about what grace and what heaven is. We have to come to know God more in order to desire to love him. Which is why we're here. First of all, having this talk, and then, you know, moving on now to prayer and to asking Him to change our lives. But that's the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, come, Holy Spirit, change my heart, change my life. Help me to desire heaven. Because if I don't want to get to heaven, I am never going to get there. Right? We could leave Nakadum, all right, and maybe. Just take whatever road we find first, right? But unless I have a destination in mind, I'm not going anywhere, right? If I want to get from Nakadoon over to Dublin, for example, there's certain roads that have to be followed, which means I can't choose the opposite one. But I have to choose and desire and want to go to Dublin in order to get there. The same thing happens with heaven. I have to want to get to heaven. And then I have to recognize that there are certain paths that will lead me to heaven and there are certain paths that won't. 
but it's my desire to get to heaven, my desire to love God, which is that's going to give me the strength to choose the roads that lead to him and to leave behind the other ones, even though there's roads that I've been down a million times and I really like those roads. Well, you can't take that road if you want to go to heaven. You can't. And if you recognize that you need surgery <laughs> on your heart to take away that desire that shouldn't be there, just ask the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord. That's what he's, what he's there for. I don't actually know what's next. Hold on. Okay, so I think now we have free time until 4.30. Yeah. Um, so there's 20 minutes of free time, um, and then we're going to meet back here in the chapel uh, for, the, for the next thing. So if anyone needs to go to the toilet, now would be the time. Um, I would encourage you, any of you who would like to talk or would like to speak with one of the brothers tomorrow, um, don't everyone like rush back to the basket back there. But during this free time, in any of the 20 minutes, you know, you can just like space it out over the 20 minutes. Um, if you could start, you know, to kind of get your names into the basket so that we can let the brothers know, or just organize ourselves as well to know who wants to talk and, and who doesn't. Um, and just take advantage of this free time. Don't get distracted. Right? You can continue to read your Bible. I know Father Luke encouraged you to read the book of Hosea. Um, He's one of the test. He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. All right. So if you're if you're looking for that book and you haven't found it yet, it's it's a l very little one in the Old Testament, like the first half of the Bible. Right. Uh, so just look it up on the index. Okay. So as we we're just going to finish with a prayer. Um, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being here with us. We thank you for the gift of grace, and we thank you for calling us into this intimacy with you. We ask that you would please pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, move our hearts to desire to grow in this relationship with you, remove any fear that we might have, remove any obstacles that are in our way. And we ask all of this through the intercession of the Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.